0: Psalm 36, and I'm reading from the complete Jewish Bible. Crime speaks to the wicked. I perceive this in my heart. Before his eyes, there is no fear of God. For the way he sees it, crime makes his life easy. That is, until his wrongs are discovered, then he is hated. His words are wrong and deceitful. He has stopped being wise in doing good. He devises trouble as he lies in bed. So set is he on his own bad way that he doesn't hate evil. Adonai in the heavens is your grace. Your faithfulness reaches to the sky. Your righteousness is like mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. You save man and beast, Adonai. How precious God is your grace. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the rich bounty of your house, and you have them drink from the streams of your delight. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see life. Continue your grace to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Don't let the foot of the proud tread on me. For the hands of the wicked drive me away. There they lie fallen, those evildoers, flung down and unable to rise.
1: Um, This week has been uh, memorializing the 10th anniversary of 9-11 ad infinitum. Uh, You may have heard that there was a group of firefighters from Denver that took on full gear and climbed up the stairs of one of the tallest buildings in Denver in memory of the courage of the New York Firefighters 9-11. Apparently, this is something that's spread nationwide to other cities. Uh, Yesterday, as I was listening to the news, or I think it was Thursday, there was a, a picture a video, rather, of Mayor Bloomberg from the mayor of New York and uh, several people from Congress, uh, one of which was the head of the Homeland Security in the House of Representatives, talking about information, intelligence, rather, that has come forth, that they were observing and keeping track of three men One of whom was an American citizen that were considering detonating a car bomb somewhere in New York. And apparently, it was a threat that was credible but unconfirmed. Don't you love that? Credible but unconfirmed. And uh, New York City has been on high, the highest alert. Um, for quite a while because of that threat and other threats and um, you know all of that at least for me probably for the rest of us reminds us that the world we live in is not exactly what you'd call safe apparently the United States has spent somewhere about $4 trillion to try and bring about security since 9-11. And my impression is that most people really do not feel any more secure today than we did back before 9-11. Part of it is we are being confronted with evil that we haven't seen in quite a while. People that apparently do not seem to have any kind of a conscience, what we would call sociopaths. And uh, we're seeing terrorists of a different stripe that we haven't seen ever, I would say, that instead of recognizing and, and having a strategy of attacking hard targets, military objectives, they're attitude is to pursue soft targets. In other words, slaughter women and children for the purpose of intimidating the civilian population. Are acts of incredible barbarism, you know, uh, beheading people, having it on TV. I, I remember very vividly, and I'll stop with this. I don't want to thoroughly depress you. I remember several years ago there was a story about um, a location in the Shiite section of Iraq where suicide bombers uh, blew themselves up and killed 30 plus people and then just as folks were mourning their death in this funeral one or two additional suicide bombers exploded themselves in the midst of the funeral procession and and you look at that you think about that and it boggles your mind doesn't it because you're dealing with with a reality that makes absolutely no sense where people have no problem transgressing what human society is corrupt and depraved as it is uh, would say these are your basic taboos. You don't cross those those lines. They're taboo. Where you have warfare, and it's interesting that <coughs> the Torah portion that James read to us today, Kitze explicitly talked about the fact that God was concerned that His people, even in the in the state of warfare with their enemies. Would demonstrate basic degree of kindness and compassion on the f- the families of their enemies, and uh, th- these terrorists absolutely have no compassion, no compunction, and it reminds me very much <coughs> of what happens when God allows people to t- to pursue their own ends to where he gives them over and I wanted to read to you a couple of verses from the book of Romans Romans chapter 1 verse 28 and you're welcome to follow along with me Romans one twenty-eight. furthermore since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done they have become filled with every kind of wickedness evil, greed and depravity They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They invent ways of doing evil. You know, and when you think about the shoe bomber, you think to yourself, how bizarre and how depraved can you get? Not to mention the individual that wanted to explode himself by having explosives in their underwear. It's just beyond, beyond understanding. Um, they are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they do not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. And this is part of what we've been seeing is a, an ongoing commitment to recruit others and bring them on at the same degree of evil. Paul describes people who have, whose consciences have been seared as if with a branding iron. In other words, consciences are totally dead. Absolutely no no problem. Making all kinds of horrific actions, taking horrific actions with without... Batting an eyelash. And part of the news coverage showed a video of a rather homely looking Osama bin Laden. He was never exactly what you call Mr. Universe to begin with, but he seemed particularly homely in this one, covered with a blanket, hunched over, and looking at a video pretty clearly. What he was doing is trying to strategize and figure out how to spread the network of Al Qaeda worldwide. And the psalm that w- that uh, Paula just read to us refers to the, to a person who, even on their bed, they plot evil. Thirty six four. He commits himself to sinful course. And does not reject what is wrong. What what boggles the mind is that they apparently, although speaking of having a, a a war for God, they have absolutely no clue that what they were doing was evil. In fact, they danced for joy as they saw the results of what happened in 9-11. Because it was death and destruction reigned on the infidel. This is again part of what the psalmist is saying. for In verse 2, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his own sin. Verse 3, the words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. You look at that and of course I hope that you realize that this is an extreme example. I'm grateful that Bin Laden has gone on to his I was going to say reward, but reward is not really appropriate here. He is an extreme example of what is really, when you think about it, a worldwide phenomenon. The fact that that in lots of ways human society has come to the bottom of the barrel. This is again what you see in Romans chapter 1, that when humanity says, I will pursue my own will and I will throw off God's yoke, in a sense, like in Psalm chapter 2, then then God gives people over to their own depravity and what you have is a downward spiral where things get more and more evil and more and more polluted. Where people have no recognition of what is actually evil. Isaiah describes them as those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. And yes, there is Al Qaeda, but but folks, you look around, you look around our society. You get on on your computers to get email. And what comes at you is all kinds of barrage of filth and defilement of one kind or or another. You know, there's enough spam, defiled spam, to feed a third world country. And, and, And this is just a the tip of the iceberg in a sense of of what drives and characterizes our society (coughs) because what drives our societies is not a fear of God the sense of reverence for who God is and a rejection of God you know what what is really odd bizarre, I would say, is the fact that the polls, Gallup and others, consistently come back with very high percentages for Americans believing in God. Something about 90 plus percent of all Americans believe in God. Did you know that? Of course, uh, there's always... Major qualifiers such as he, whoever he or she may be, whatever that power looks like. But that God is very much designed to be someone that is at our convenience, someone that we can believe in our own terms. That makes absolutely no demand on 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 people. And yet, at the same time, is there to help us in the clutch. You know, sort of a God that we put in a little box, a genie, as it were, that in in the right moment when we're desperately needy, we call on, on this genie God who comes out and does all kinds of wonderful things. Then when he is done, we put him back in a box, back in the in the lamp. For the most part, that kind of God is essentially irrelevant in daily life. And people usually describe that by saying, yes, I believe in God, but on one hand, on the other hand, I do not believe in organized religion. Basic meaning of that, if, if you uh, peel away the, the language, what that simply means is, uh, I do what I want to do, And I am the ultimate arbiter of truth and reality. And yes, God is there somewhere, but He is by no means over me and in charge of me, and I'm definitely not under His rule. Scripture describes that this is going to be reality as we move along in the flow of history. I hope everybody knows and understands that we are in the last days. Regardless of where you are as far, as far as eschatology, as far as prophetic charts, and so on and so forth, we know scripturally that from the moment Yeshua came, the kingdom of God landed in a way that it never had before. And from that point on, the, the, this was the beginning of the last days. And the clock has been ticking and we have no clue exactly what the what the amount of time that is left. And of course it makes no sense to us because we think 2,000 years, that's an essentially an eternity. But bottom line, folks, is we are in the end days. And we can see that in lots and lots of different kinds of Markers around us, one of those is the way society functions. The moral and spiritual decline and pollution. Paul tells us in Second Timothy, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not lovers of God, etc., etc. I think most of us could see some of those characteristics in the society around us. Why did we have the massive economic crash that we did? A lot of it was due to people in the financial industry being greedy. And and people, sociologists and, and philosophers and so on, describe our day as being post-Christian in the sense that God is no longer really the reality. And, and, and by the way, I, I'm not one who looks at history through rose-colored glasses. I've studied history enough to know that 200 years ago wasn't exactly the Garden of Eden. But at the same time, there's a definite decline morally and ethically in our society. And this is part of what's predicted. And it's scary. It is scary. If, if you are a person who is committed to the Lordship of Yeshua, you and I are swimming against the current and there are times when it seems overwhelming. Times, There are times that it seems overwhelming. Don't you feel that way sometimes? What do you do? Do you join the list of naysayers who get on the internet and send all kinds of evil forwarding messages to everybody about how things are awful, and how things are difficult, and how things are painful, etc. And some folks do that. You know, I I periodically get, get these forwards that get a nanosecond treatment of seeing, clicking, and moving on to something else. I don't need someone to expound to me the evils of society. I want someone to encourage me, to challenge me, to press forward. To recognize the fact that God is in control, regardless of the pollution, defilement of society. What do you do? You stop, you catch your breath, you look upward. I was thinking about that um, as I was preparing the message. Our congregational office is situated facing I-25, the the parking lot of I-25, and and you see the traffic coming, sometimes moving very quickly, sometimes essentially looking like it's standing still. And this particular day, I, I was looking at the traffic, and I happened to look upward. And I don't know, I've just gotten to enjoy looking at the clouds. You know, I'm a, I, I was never a hippie, so it's not any any inclinations along those lines but I just you know when I look at the clouds and these are beautiful white fluffy cumulus clouds it is such a, a vivid reminder of the fact that God reigns above and that he is the one who determines the facts on the ground and yes we have to deal with the facts on the ground but our perception of the facts on the ground has to be conditioned by how we see the facts in the heavenlies, in God's sphere of things. Our view always has to begin with looking up. And in this case, a major, major part of understanding reality in the heavenlies is understanding The love of the Father for you and I. In this psalm, one of my favorite words, chesed, appears three times. And you know in Scripture where things are repeated three times, it it, it is indicative of the need for the listener to sit up and take notice. Hello, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening again? Chesed. Your love, O Lord, verse 5 Reaches to the heavens. Your chesed, your unfailing covenant, committed, loyal love is infinite. God doesn't love us <coughs> when we are cute and clever. If that was the case, it wouldn't last very long. He looks at us when we are downright ugly and defiled and rebellious and still loves us. Amen? Verse 7. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. And by the way, these verses... Verses uh, seven, eight, and nine are part of the daily liturgy of the Siddur, the Jewish prayer book, that are recited every single day. What what an incredibly <clears throat> uh, right-on perspective for you to get up in the morning and say, Lord, how precious is your love for me rather than get up in the morning and and uh, grumble quetch, which we do from time to time or run all kinds of depressing scenarios which we do from time to time but begin the morning by saying Lord how precious how priceless is your unfailing love Same thing in verse 10. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. Continue your chesed. This, folks, has to be our basic bedrock reality, our identity as the father's kids. And yes, each one of us has an identity or two or three or ten. You know, we describe ourselves as, you know, um, my name is so and so, and this is what I do. And I'll never forget one time speaking to somebody, you don't remember the occasion, but they said, You are the rabbi, that's who you are. And I said to him, No, this is not who I am. Kind of took them back. And my point to this person was yes, that is my title and and yes, this is what I do and this is how I function but who I am is a child of the King the child of my Heavenly Father Abba's Son. Do you know that? Do you know that? If you don't your identity and your foundation is exceedingly shaky. Shaky. Because it is based on things that are wobbly. That one isn't. That identity as sons and daughters of God cause us to be secure in a very insecure world. And it took a lot of time this morning to, to talk about the insecurity of the world around us. I want to park right here for quite a while Because this is our reality. This is our our confidence. The fact that we are secure in the Father's love. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Do you know that you are son or daughter of the king of kings this is first john 3 romans 8 we have not received a spirit of fear that make a, a spirit of bondage that makes us slave to fear but we have received the spirit of sonship by him we cry, Abba, Father. You cannot be tuned in and be founded and based on the reality of being a son or daughter of God on one hand and on the other hand be bound and oppressed by a spirit of fear. The two just don't go hand in hand. This is the number one message the Lord wants to communicate to us. Perhaps you're here today and you may feel like I'm speaking Chinese to you. Or maybe this is something you've heard a long time ago. Or maybe this is something you've heard and and believed and your circumstances have clouded over that reality. Let me encourage you today to ask for a fresh dose of an understanding of your identity and your reality as a son and daughter of God. Ask the Father to pour out His chesed, His love upon you so that this is your foundational reality, that everything in life, in your life, is based upon that. Part of what happens, folks, is that sometimes we're all over the map. We're like tumbleweed. And we approach the Lord with rotten views of Him. That we have to earn His love, that His love for us is flaky and fickle. And that, folks, by the way, is how unbelief is defined. It's having a poor image of of who God is, not just in general terms, but who He is in relation to us. And because of that, because we have this poor image of who God is, who the Father is in relation to us, we are not inclined to trust Him. Would you trust someone who looks like a shady dealer in used uh, used cars or some Someone who looks very unreliable? Would you want to do that? Of course not. But if you know and understand the reality of the Father's heart for you, what is the normal, the sensible thing to do? The response, of course, is to trust Him. Say, Lord, because I know You love me, I'm going to put my Destiny in my faith in your hands. Let me encourage you to take time this week to look at all these marvelous portions of the Word of God to talk about God's infinite and passionate and faithful love for us. Here's one example Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. Here's an insight from Hebrew. The word for great there, gavar, means something that is strong and prevailing against all odds. The love of God prevails in our life against all odds, against our junk, other people's junk. David tunes into that. He understands the Lord's passion and the fact that it's faithful. The Lord is not a flash in a pan. He is faithful. This is basic part of his reality. You remember, of course, the, the story of Moses being tucked away behind the rock and the Lord passed in front of him proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, Adonai, Adonai, the compassion of the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Your translation may have it, abounding in grace, chesed, and truth. Same word. Emet has the sense of, it, 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 it has a broad range of meaning that includes faithfulness, includes truth, includes integrity, includes trustworthiness. Paul puts it this way: "Here is a trustworthy saying." This was apparently some kind of a early song of the believers, the first century. If we are faithless, which is a no-brainer, of course we're faithless. You know, I, I I've lost count of all the times when I would say to the Lord, Lord, you're awesome, you're incredible, you're wonderful, and then the next breath, uh, I'm out of here. If we, f- if we are faithless, or rather, whenever we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot disown himself. He cannot dis- deny his character. This is who he is. And yes, in a scary, insecure world, because he is faithful, we are secure. We have the security. How priceless is your unfailing love, your chesed. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. What does that mean to take shelter in the refuge of God's wings? I mean, this is not, this is hard for us to get our arms around because we're not little birdies that, that huddle over to uh, mom and, and dad bird, you know, to snuggle under their, their wings. So it's kind of hard for us to get our arms around it. But again, it comes down to the issue of security. Where do we find ourselves? To be secure. Is it easy for us to get ourselves under God's protection? The answer is no. It's counterintuitive for us to seek refuge in God to place our security in Him. Why? Because we have all kinds of other things that we seek in which to place our security one very common thing is a basic sense that we have things figured out you know the the attitude that says the world is going to hell in a handbasket but at least i know where i am and i have things figured out well what do you do if you have no clue and if you have nothing figured out when something happens and uh, you're not doing well physically or mentally and you're not able to process and figure and, and get a clear grasp of reality, what do you do then? Do you freak out? Yes? What do you do when your props are taken out from under your feet? You know, take for example your basic routine. You get up in the morning, you do something. Perhaps you get up in the morning, you get in your car, you go to work, or you get up, you get in the car, go to school. You have a basic routine. What happens if that is removed from you? Where's your security at that point? You become emotionally and mentally and spiritually wobbly. I was thinking this week about this. I went to see David Seckler and my heart went out to him because this, this brother all has had all his props knocked out from under his feet. His job, his family, his His financial security, all of that is gone. At this point, I believe it will be restored. But at this point, all of it has been taken away. And he is learning, like all of us, that the only security we really have, and he's always had, not knowing really, is the Lord. We substitute all kinds of things, but at some point God brings us down to bare metal to where we get the fact that we have no security other than God. And yes, we need those other things. We need work, we need financial provision, we need a basic mind that functions. It's not terribly Meshuggi. But that's what it means, that, that when, as particularly as things are wobbly, we know who to run to. We run and hide under His cover. Because we know we have protection, we know we have security. I love this psalm for a variety of reasons, one of which is the fact that The picture it gives of God's people is not of refugees, those who have barely emerged through a crisis by the skin of their teeth, but but people who somehow have God's blessing and somehow flourish through all kinds of circumstances. Verse 8 of chapter 36, They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your rivers of delight. The Hebrew there is very poetic, but it has the sense of having, being refreshed and satisfied and no I I don't believe that that when Scripture speaks about being satisfied and flourishing that it always excludes financial blessings sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't but in all circumstances we experience the flourishing that God gives us Psalm 92 the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. And this is the one that I love. And if you're uh, younger than than 40, you may not be able to relate, but uh, they will still bear fruit in old age. (laughs) They will stay fresh and green. King James puts it, uh, there will be fat in in green. (laughs) (laughs) Fatness in our culture is not exactly a sign of blessing. (laughs) But you get my meaning. What does it look like to flourish? It's different for each one of us. Circumstantially, but, but what is the same for each one of us is regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our trials, regardless of upheaval, regardless of life being wobbly, regardless of insecurity in circumstances, we know personally, internally that we're well-founded and we're secure. Can you say amen to that? Because we're well-grounded in Him. We're well-grounded in our identity. We're well-grounded in the presence of God. Verse 9, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. You sometimes feel like you're sort of fumbling and stumbling around. You really don't know which way to go and the path is not exactly well lit in front of you. What the psalm and the rest of Scripture tells us is as we endeavor to be located close to the presence of God, then we have His light which gives us direction. Gives us direction. It also d- gives us something that we're not really looking forward to. It exposes darkness in us. And yes, the Word of God in, in John and First John and other places tells us that if we walk in the light or as we walk in the light, in His light, what is dark in us will be exposed. And that's part of reality here. We know that. We know that, that for e- in each one of us that darkness takes a different shape. And typically our attitude is, you know, let sleeping dogs lie. I'm, I'm not interested in having anything exposed, thank you. I don't want God, I really would rather, I know you are almighty God and all like that, but I would really rather that you didn't open any closets and expose any skeletons, thank you. We really don't want our sin exposed because reality is sin is ugly, right? Mine is as ugly as yours, etc., but if we really are rooted and grounded in our identity as children of God, we, we know that the Father loves us and that the darkness that He wants to expose is for our good. Think about it. Do you really want to hang on to darkness in your life? we know that the Lord loves us, if we know that He has the power to redeem and to cleanse and to heal, then we welcome Him. We welcome Him to come and bring to light what needs to come to light. Knowing that He will not do that punitively and capriciously, but He'll do that lovingly. He will say, My child... Here's some schmutz, here's some filth, some defilement we need to deal with. Are you willing? And this is very timely for us as we prepare for the Moadim, for the holidays. According to tradition, we have 28 days, and this is part of a season, 28 days until Yom Kippur. And this is part of the season called Yemei Ratzon, the days of favor. Think about that. Seeking God for cleansing and repentance is part of receiving God's favor. Can you wrap your arms around that? Because repentance always leads to cleansing and cleansing always leads to healing and healing always leads to a greater amount of fullness of the presence and the spirit of God in our life. Do you not want that? I know we don't do flea picking and we don't sit there with a microscope and try to find Do self-examination, which is what traditional Judaism calls on its practitioners to do. And by the way, some, a lot of Christianity, the legalistic branches do the same thing. Engage in self-examination. No, thank you. I don't have the means to be able to expose darkness in me by myself. I don't want to do that. But the Lord can. And when he does, it will be a blessing. One of the biggies for us, as I've alluded to before, is unbelief. The fact that we don't or not willing, we don't know how to trust God. We may have rotten motives, rotten views of who our Heavenly Father is. And because of that, we're not willing to trust him. That's unbelief, folks one of the very basic foundational sins in Scripture. You see that throughout the Word of God. You see that even with the father of faith himself, Father Abe. The Lord comes to him in chapter 15 of Genesis and says, Abraham, I am your great reward. And Abraham says to him, oh yeah? (laughs) What kind of reward are we talking about here? I already have plan B all worked out. This is Abraham, folks. You see that, of course, in the life of the 10 spies who saw the circumstances, the giant, the fortified cities, and, and uh, they said, "Forget this. We're not interested. We're definitely taking plan B. We saw that in the lives of the people of Israel when they were going through hard times and they questioned God's motives. God, you had nothing better to do than to bring us out here in order to kill us. Been there, done that, have several t-shirts, folks. Part of what the Lord wants to do in our life is simply say, okay, this is really unbelief. Do you get that? Let's, let's get rid of that. Let's purge it. Let's bring about cleansing. And I believe is part of reality for us as we face this very insecure world, the 9-11 kind of a world. You know, I, it, this hits me in the face every time I, I go to visit someone in prison or I go to the airport, I feel like I have to take off half my clothing. You know what I'm saying? And often the people who are observing you look like you sneeze incorrectly. They're going to haul you off to prison. Very insecure. And part of what, what God has been speaking to me, and it feels, yes, it feels like a steep learning curve. You know what I'm saying? Steep learning curve of trusting God. Because circumstances are overwhelming. We don't know what to do about them. But we know the one who does know what to do about them and who has the power. So as circumstances seem to come upon you like a tidal wave, you stop... And you look up and say, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't know what to do about this. I trust you because you do. Put your trust, patient faith, and expectation that he will come through in your life. Patient faith, folks. Trusting God assumes and expects patient faith. No, that does not mean that God will come through in a nanosecond. Patient faith. Let me throw this question out to you. We'll close with this. What would you like to do to trust God during this season? Is there something that is on your heart that you want to trust God to see Him do in your life in this season. What's been on my heart has been the prayer that through this season we will be open to the wooing of the Spirit to bring about cleansing and healing and restoration in us as a mishpacha, as a congregation. A lot of us have been hurting And we need to learn to trust God. Will you join me with that? Would you say, Lord, I'm willing to trust you? Show me how. Give me the courage, the robust faith to trust you. As we take a moment or so to, to pray, to seek the Lord i like to do something radical this morning, extremely radical. As we pray and as the Lord has been speaking to you and you feel real sense of the Spirit of God moving upon you, would you please stand, showing that publicly to the Lord, first of all. And then perhaps write it down and say, Lord, I'm going to wait upon you the next 28 days to see what you're going to do. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we praise you that our security comes from you. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of all the upheaval and all the ups and downs and all the difficulties, nine eleven and others, Lord, that you are very much with us, that you are very much in control. Lord God, that you are committed to us Your chesed is as high as the heavens. And you have called us to be your sons and daughters. Lord God, I pray for each of us. Lord, thank you that you know us intimately. You know where we are, where we struggle. I pray, Lord God, for the gift of faith for each of us. Lord, where we're struggling. That we will look up in the midst of all that is going on and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Show me how. Give me the faith that is needed to do that. And if the Lord has been speaking to you, you want to respond to him, not to anybody else, but just to him, would you please stand as an expression of your faith in Him, trusting in Him to come through in your life, to break through in those areas that you desperately need Him to do that. Lord, we worship You, we praise You, we thank You for who You are, Thank you for your faithfulness. I pray, Lord God, for each person here who is standing up, they're standing before you, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen their resolve to trust you during these next 28 days, Lord God. To look to you for your solutions and your answers and your power to come through, Lord God. And we simply pray, Lord, that you would receive all the honor and all the glory. In the name of Yeshua. Amen.